0: We'll once again this morning uh, be in several different passages as we continue our study uh, through uh, this, this theme of here is the church, what God has designed uh, the church to be, his purposes of the church. And as we have uh, looked over the last few weeks, uh, his, his calling to uh, believers in our role within the church. And so uh, I would ask you, you could go ahead and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. Uh, It'll take us a little to get there. I'm going to show you a couple other verses on the screen, Um, but um, if you want to be in the spot where we'll be eventually, uh, we'll be in Matthew, chapter 28, as we continue uh, on in this theme of, of Come, All Christians, Be Committed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we open his word today. Father, we thank you once again, for the privilege to be in your house today. We thank you for the word of God and its power to change our lives. We thank you uh, for the conviction that the word of God brings, for the direction that it gives, for the continued instruction to help us to, uh, to stay right with you and do what is right. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit you have given to those who know Jesus Christ as Savior to, to help us to live for you. We ask now that you would help us to humble our hearts and open our, open our hearts and minds to the working of your Holy Spirit through the word of God today. We pray that you would convict us of sin show us the hope of Jesus Christ and Lord draw us to the next spiritual step whatever that may be for one who hears this today Lord who has never trusted you. They've said the right things maybe they've put on a show but they've never truly trusted you to know that, and they know that in their heart of hearts. I pray that you would once again show them their need for the Savior. For Christians, Lord, help us to ever be consumed with how do we continue to live uh, for the sake of the kingdom, for the glory of God, and may we be ever consumed with uh, putting away sin, putting on the new man, that we would live out our calling in you. And Lord, I pray again, you would lay your finger on that in our heart, which needs to change today. Help us to be submissive to that work. We ask that you would get the honor and the glory for what's said and done here in your name we pray. Amen. Do you remember what it was like in your life when you hit a certain milestone of growth or change? Uh, Perhaps you still remember to this day uh, what it was like the first time you tied your own shoes. Perhaps some of you still don't tie your own shoes and one day you hope to feel that, okay? Do you remember what it was like the first time you got your driver's license and you drove somewhere by yourself, okay? I still remember that day when I got home, my mom sent me to the store to get milk, right? That was the best feeling in the world because I could go, I, I, I'll get milk. I'd forget, you know, just want to forget stuff so I could drive back, you know? Maybe you remember the first time you brought home your own paycheck, and how great that felt until you realize how much the government took on the way, right? I remember as a teenager playing basketball at my friend's house down the street almost every day. I remember that one day we were playing ball. I, I took the ball, I ran up the court, and I jumped and dunked a basketball on a 10-foot goal. Okay, some of you are like, I've dreamed about that my whole life, Okay. And I didn't believe it. I had to do it like two or three more times just to prove that, that it wasn't a dream and I could actually do it. It was, it was an awesome moment and an experience of, of growth that I, had, that I never will forget. And please don't ask me to do it today, okay? Because <laughs> it's not going to happen. In our Christian lives, we experience these moments of growth as well. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are a new creation, and you continue to grow in him on this side of eternity. We enter what we call this process of sanctification, becoming more and more like him each and every day. And that, and unlike our, or sorry, the decisions we make then to follow the Lord and obey him, when we, when we at one point in our lives wouldn't have done those things, that they encourage us, Right? We, we, we face a situation, or we face a, a struggle or, or a trial or a test, and, and we make this decision. We begin to reflect on that decision. We say, wow, I don't think that two, three, four, five years ago I would have made that decision. But, but we begin to see the maturity in our own spiritual lives as we trust and follow him. That They should encourage us, and they should give us a taste and a desire to continue to grow. And unlike our height or our talents or other physical traits, our spiritual growth on this side of eternity doesn't have any limits. I gave you a story today about dunking a basketball. There are some of you in this room, you're just never going to be tall enough to dunk a basketball, right? you are just got to be willing to admit it, okay? But there's only so far you can go, right, physically with the body you have. Spiritually on this side of eternity, there is no limit, Because we are continuing to be renewed day by day by day, and we're not going to be perfect until we reach eternity. So we continue to grow and change in the Lord. We are broken people, ever changed into the image of Jesus Christ, if we know him as Savior. And so therefore, we need to prioritize the church. We need to prioritize being in God's house, and being intentional in how we approach church and the relationships that we engage in church so that we be ever challenged in the area of greater spiritual growth. As we've said all along in this this sermon, if you've been here the last couple weeks, you know this is the third week I have preached this message because there's five points. I've only made it through two points so far, okay? My goal is to make it through three and four today and point five next week, okay? Um, But we've talked about how Christians are called to dedication to the local church for the purpose of exercising the character of the new man and furthering the mission of the kingdom of God. As we've walked through, you know, what does it mean? What is, why is it that we go to church? Why is church an important thing? Why should I, as a Christian, value the local church? This is Why? We are called to that dedication for the purpose of exercising the new the new man, right? The character of who God what God has created in us and furthering his kingdom. And we've seen that in, in different points along the way. The first week We spent uh, time together in this passage or in in this message. We talked about faithfully fulfilling God's command, that God has commanded believers not to forsake the assembling of themselves together. And so therefore, why do we go to church? Because God commands us to be in the local church. He commands us to be a part of a local body. We talked all about Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Last week, we spent time, why, why, what is it God has called us to do in that local body as we're faithfully attending those services? We are to worship God with fellow believers. And we broke that out last week, talking about the importance of worship and the elements of what our worship looks like with other believers and so today we get to point number three, what is it, what, what is it God has called us to do? Why uh, do we make church a priority? What is it that we're supposed to do? Well, number three, we do this so that we may pray with fellow believers. I'll give you two verses here that, that I didn't have you turn to. You're welcome to if you want, or uh, we'll write them down for later. Romans chapter 12, verse 12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And also in Colossians chapter 4 verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And so the first thing we want to see here is the case that there's a necessity of prayer in the Christian's life. In the purposes of the church, we examined that the early church placed a premium, a they placed a high value on prayer. And we saw there that 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 churches should be engaging in prayer, that prayer should be offered for one another for the work of God in the church and the work of God in the world. But, but that general call, that, ch- that the purpose of the church is to pray, doesn't end in some generality, that, oh, that's nice that the church is supposed to pray. Because remember, what is the church? The church is the people. It has a very personal element to it. Believers individually are called to engage in prayer. So Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit in these passages, is writing to believers in the church. I gave you uh, verses from the book of Romans, right, And, and then from the book of Colossians. These are letters written to local churches in Paul's day. And in both passages, he calls on them to pray. And did you notice in those verses that Paul isn't just commanding them to pray one time or every once in a while? But he's calling them to be devoted in their prayer lives. Let's back up and look. What does he say in Romans? Be what? Be constant in prayer. And in Colossians, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Paul is saying that that prayer should be as natural to the Christian as breathing that they are to continue constantly, instead fastly, they are to be devoted to prayer in their lives. And that is to be made both to the personal lives of believers and then corporately as they gather together in their local church. This communicates to us that it is a necessity for believers to engage in prayer with one another. Through our prayers, we communicate with God. We, we pour out our hearts to God, seeking his work in our lives. We appeal to God for his gracious help. We seek his strength for power to stand against sin and Satan. We bring before him our needs, trusting him to respond in his perfect way and his perfect time. We yield our hearts and our lives to him, asking him to grow and change us that we may be used more effectively in his These are the reasons why we pray. Prayer is a necessary part of any believer's life. And we can go all the way back to what Jesus said in his earthly ministry to see that. Jesus instructed his followers, his disciples, to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, he says, But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So it is clear that Jesus expected his followers would what? Would pray. That's why he instructed them on that. You go all the way back to the Old Testament and see the pattern that's laid there. That people who follow the Lord are to pray to him. We are expected to spend time with the Lord. Seeking his will and coming before his throne. It is then further clear in the passage that we just read in Romans and in Colossians that believers are to pray together as well. The early church, in the book of Acts, you read the formation of the early church. You will see that the people gathered there for the purpose of prayer. One of these instances takes place when Peter, who was an apostle, right? He was a disciple of Jesus, and, and he was uh, uh, so instrumental in the founding of the church. He is the one who preached on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 souls were added to the church. Well, you get to, to Acts chapter 12, and you begin to see the persecution that's going on against the church. Uh, James is martyred, right? And, and you, you see Peter is imprisoned, And when Peter is is put into prison, what do the people do? They gather together to pray. And and I won't rehash the entire thing that happens in Acts chapter 12. You can go read that for yourself this week. Uh, But what happens is is God frees Peter from prison. And when he goes uh, back to the place where the believers are gathered, we read this. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other's name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. They gathered there to pray for the release of Peter. The church experienced a great need. They were under fire of persecution, and so they gathered together for the purpose of prayer together. They lifted up their need jointly to the Lord. Think about all these these guys that that the people had. They had Peter, and well, before this they had James and John, and these disciples, right, who had walked with the Lord. I mean, these guys, they had the best teacher you could ever have, right? No seminary can ever tell you that they can give you anything like Peter, James, John, Andrew, all these guys had, right? They don't, they don't go to these guys and say, hey, fix it. They, they get together and they do what? They pray to the Lord. They go before him. And we must do the same. We must gather with our brothers and sisters in the Lord for the purpose of prayer. We should be constant in prayer, steadfastly continuing in it. We are responsible to be cultivating our own personal prayer lives, right? And that's another focus for another day. We're talking about as a church. But constantly, we are to be cultivating our own personal walk with the Lord. And then also... Not neglecting to meet with fellow believers for the purpose of praying together. These things grow us in our prayer lives. And and what you see here, secondly, is is praying, as we pray with fellow believers, we grow in our own prayer lives personally. Prayer is a vital discipline in the life of the believer. And, And it is a foreign concept that a growing, obedient Christian is not a praying Christian. I'll say that again. It is a foreign concept that a growing, obedient Christian is not a praying Christian. If you tell me I'm a growing, obedient Christian, I don't have to pray. I will tell you you're a liar. Because growing, obedient believers spend time in prayer. And so, it is always that which we should ever long to grow in, in our lives. I mean, How many of you would say that one of the top things that you as a Christian wish you could grow in is you'd like to, to pray better? You say, I'd like to, to grow in, that, in prayer. Okay, I appreciate the three of you who have your hand raised with me, okay? I'm not going to make you come down to the altar, okay? But I find that generally, as a Christian, that is something I always am, am, am struggling with or working on or, or wanting to grow more. In, is I want to I be a better prayer right I, and i want I want to be closer to the Lord, I want to know what to say, I want to know how to respond, and I want to know what to uh, uh, how, how to come before his throne in a, in a way that honors Him, so therefore, we should ask the Lord in our prayers to help us grow in our prayer lives, and then let 's take practical steps to this end and, and now now that begins of course, in our personal lives. it begins with studying. For yourself, what does God's word say about prayer? Right? If you want to know what God has well, how to do, anything that God has commanded us to do, the way that He's told us to do, this is where you need to start. right? So, so maybe in your own life, you, you take time to study some passages on prayer. You set aside time in your life for prayer. You make lists that help you in your prayer life, and more, but, but one of the ways that we should seek to grow also in our prayer life is how do we pray with others? Because if God tells us we should be praying with other believers, and he does, we should find ways to make this a part of our lives. And you know, this day and age, it's, pretty, it's become fairly easy to, to, to make this happen, right? I mean, we can get together with people. You can call people. You can get on the computer or whatever and, and pray with other people. I mean, it's been an amazing thing. You know, we have missionaries around the world, and I can get on and have a video call with one of these guys on the other side of the planet, and we pray together or we talk or whatever it may be, Right? We can do that in our own lives as well. But we should also gather in the local church for the purpose of prayer. And of course, this is something that throughout the ages, the church has recognized as important. And so what develops out of that, but what we have come to know culturally as the midweek prayer service, right? It comes out of that, that desire that we should be together and pray together. So therefore, it's, it's not uncommon to find that in a local church. Now, they take different forms. They follow different formats. I mean, here in our own church, <clears throat> we hold such a service on Wednesday nights. That's accompanied by a midweek Bible study as well. And what is the purpose of that? The purpose is to follow the Lord in obedience, praying with one another. And, and you'll find that as you pray with fellow believers that also begins to build relationships within the body of Christ. When you spend time praying with someone, you become intimately familiar with the needs and the requests and the desires that that person brings before the Lord. Those of you who have attended Wednesday night prayer meetings for any amount of time, you probably could name a few people you have spent time praying with and say, I know that they pray for this and they pray for that, and I'm, I, I pray with them for those things. You become burdened for the things that they're burdened for. You become a partner in these things with them before the Lord. As believers, we have a responsibility to each other to bear one another's burdens before the Lord. We are called to gather together for the purpose of praying together. And the wonderful truth of prayer is that God hears and answers our prayers. You read in the Old Testament, um, I, I especially... I'm thinking in, in 1 Kings chapter 17, I believe it is, where um, the prophets of Baal square off against Elijah. right? Who's the one true God? And these guys spend half the day dancing around in front of the altar, cutting themselves, doing all manner of, of awful things. Why? Because they are praying to their God and he's not what? He's not answering, right? Because he's not real, but he's not listening, Right? And I mean, I just, I love Elijah and all the shots he takes at those guys while they're doing that, right? And Elijah, Elijah comes before the Lord and prays, and God answers him. Why? Because God hears and answers the prayer of his children. It is a wonderful thing to see the Lord answer prayer that we have joined together in offering. In your own life, I hope that you have experienced that, that you I've spent time praying to the Lord and seen him answer. I am I am so often convicted about the ways God answers prayers that I just decided I, I didn't need to pray or didn't think about praying, right? And say, "Wow, I mean, look at the Lord did. I should have I should have been praying about that, you know?" So therefore, one of the reasons we should assemble with believers in the local church is to pray. And you know, as human beings, you know, we can often think of excuses why we don't do this. You know, we feel embarrassed to pray with other people. We feel unsure of ourselves, or, or maybe we just don't feel the need, right, to do this. I think I've I've well addressed here the need for this that God commands us to pray together. So you say, well, "I just don't think I need to pray with other people." I think you're wrong when you read the Word of God. That this is what God says. And if that's not reason enough to pray with other people, I'd encourage you to think more on God's word and this calling on your life as a believer. As to the others, you know, maybe you feel unsure of yourself or you feel embarrassed to pray with other people. I would remind you this, that prayer, when you pray, you're not here to impress anybody. And I get it. Maybe we've, you've prayed with somebody and you, they say all these flowery words and this and that, you're like, oh. know. I don't know any words more than like five letters long, you know. You're not here to put on a show. You're not here to, to, to see, it's not a competition. Who's the best prayer? You know, who doesn't stumble over their words? Or who says the godliest things? Prayer is talking to God. So therefore, whether you are in the presence of others praying out loud or, or alone in your closet, you know, the, the, the room, talking to the Lord, talk to God, not to the people. I stand up here every week as a pastor and offer prayer. I don't do that so that you'll go, oh, the pastor knows how to pray. Seminary was good for something. That's great, you know. I do that because we're here to seek God's help. That's who we're talking to. And one of the greatest ways, honestly, besides this, that you can gain greater confidence with others in your own personal prayer life is to pray with other people. It's like you say, well, I mean, I'm just not good at that. I don't know how I'm going to get good at that. You have to keep doing it, right? There's probably a million things represented in this room that that we've done in our lives. You know, play the piano or uh, at your job, right? Learning to do a certain thing on your job or learning a sport or a skill or whatever, And if the first time you ever did it, the first few times you ever did it in front of other people, you say, well, I'm just not really sure. I'm just not going to do it because I don't know how I'm going to get better at it. Well, you have to keep doing it. Well, I'm just not sure. I I feel nervous. We We just get together and we pray. Because that's what God's called us to do. And by the way, I myself have learned and continue to learn so much from other believers listening to them pray and praying alongside them. When I pray, I love to just get with people that I think, I say, man, that that, that guy really knows how to pray. I want to pray with that guy because I want to learn something about how to better pray before the Lord. I'm greatly encouraged when I offer prayer to the Lord with fellow believers. And there's something about joining with a brother or sister in Christ and coming before God's throne. It knits our hearts together and it challenges us to greater prayer for one another in our own personal lives. And so yet again, let us listen to the call of God and not abandon our fellow believers, but come alongside them, lifting up our voices and joining together before God's throne in prayer. So why is it that we go to church? We, go, we come here for the purpose of praying with other believers. And, and no, there may not be a time in every service that's set aside for that. And no, the time, only times you should ever play, pray with other believers shouldn't just be in church, right? But you should say, Well, I mean, I, I want to be there. I want to we got a prayer service. We got this. I, I think I should be, I should try that. You know, I should go and, and pray with other believers. And so this is what God expects of us. He expects us to pray with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, we're gonna make it to another point today. Number four. Why does God call us to faithfulness in the local church? What does he call for believers to to do in the local church? Number four, he calls us to disciple and edify others. This is where you have Matthew 28 open. We look at verses 19 and 20, verses you may be familiar with. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, I'll put up on the screen. Paul says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We disciple and we edify because this is God's commanded encouragement or commanded engagement even in our lives as Christians. Before Jesus returned to the Father, you have that passage open in Matthew 28, right? Before Jesus returned to the Father, he made it clear to his disciples what their mission is here on this earth. And the command that he gave in these verses to those disciples continues today to those who are disciples of Jesus. They were to engage in the exact same work he had been doing for the past three years. So what had Jesus been doing for the past three years with these 12 guys? Making them disciples, right? That's why we call them disciples. He had been teaching them. He had been engaging in this ministry, right? Of discip- or, or this, this, this practice of discipleship. Understand, by the way, discipleship was not something Jesus invented, Okay? A disciple, the general concept, the, a disciple is a learner. That's what the word means when we talk about a disciple. It means someone who is a learner. There were many teachers in Israel in Jesus' day, and there were many disciples. There were learners. that They would devote their lives to the teachings of these men. Now, if these men were worth their salt, they were teaching the word of God. Often they were teaching the laws of God Oftentimes, though, they were the Pharisees and those who were using the laws to their own advantages and teaching these guys to do the same. But Jesus set forth a command that shatters all these other religious teachings and and these learners and these disciple-makers. They were now to go out and make disciples of only one person, and that person is him. They were to make disciples of Jesus. Thus, One of the primary missions for every believer was set because Jesus' command still carries on today. We are compelled by Christ to, what does he say there in these verses? In verse 19, what is the very first word? To go and make disciples. So what does that mean for our lives? Well, it means first of all, you have to find people with whom you can do this. Before anyone can become a disciple of Jesus, they must be a follower of Jesus. They must be someone who has trusted in Jesus, do they not? And so therefore, we need to find those who need to hear the gospel and give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. On any given Sunday in your local church, you might meet someone who wanders in because they are searching for answers Has either had previous experience with church or wondered if church can help. Right? That can happen on any given Sunday. It can happen in this place. Someone walks to the back doors of this church because, not because they're already a follower of Christ, but because they've they've heard something about Jesus, or or maybe growing up they went to church, or they've heard this or they've heard that, or they think, well, maybe church can help me with whatever I've got going on in my life. But generally, the people who gather in a local church are professing believers. Are they not? Now, amongst that group, you may have some who who never have trusted Jesus Christ, right? You may have, and you'll have others who have. Jesus talks about that. So therefore, it is imperative that believers build relationships and connections outside of the local church for the sake of the gospel, right? As a Christian, you must foster relationships with unbelievers in your life, Now. This doesn't mean that you take your life's cues from them, right? This doesn't mean that we go to the world and we say, well, this, you know, I want some advice on how to live here. Because if you're a follower of Christ, that's not where you look, right? It doesn't mean that you live like the world, but it means you insert yourself strategically into their lives and invite them into yours. And again, look no further than the example that Jesus laid for his disciples. That he was constantly with those who needed the hope that he offered in himself. It didn't mean that he was living like those people. It didn't mean that he was um, associated with all the the sins that they were engaged in. But he was there ministering to them, showing them the hope of himself. Some of these people in your life are closer than than you imagine. Because I would, I would hazard a guess that there are many, if not most of us in this room, we have neighbors who don't know the Lord. I know some of you live about 40 miles from your neighbor, okay? But some of us live closer, right? Perhaps your neighbor, I mean, they live literally right across the street, through the woods, over the fence, and more from you. You have numerous opportunities to interact with them. So make the most of those opportunities, and create more of those opportunities to share the gospel, to build a, a redemptive relationship. Your coworkers, they spend 40 plus hours a week with you. And while proselytizing people ad nauseum on company time might be a bad testimony, it is not only conceivable, but it's expected that you should have opportunities at some point in your life with your coworkers to share your faith. I mean, it's as simple as, hey, what did you do yesterday when you walk in on Monday morning? Oh, man, let me tell you, I went to church, and this is what God taught me, and this is, I mean, they asked, right? We, um, Caleb, our oldest, and I, he, he was, we were talking, we've talked the last couple weeks, we were chuckling about these guys like Peter and Paul who got thrown into prison. You, know, you read in the New Testament, and a lot of times these guys were chained to the prisoner. He's like, man, those poor guys. They didn't know what they were getting into, right? Hi, I'm Paul. I'd like to talk to you about some things, you know? And you can't go anywhere because you're supposed to watch me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you ever think about that? I mean, literally, Paul and Peter and these guys they had captive audiences, you know? And and here you are. You walk into work on Monday morning and hey, what'd you do this weekend? Well, let me tell you. I tell you what I did. Share your faith. It is so easy to to punch in and punch out, right? Go in, turn in my time, this is what I'm supposed to do, just trying to get involved because I want to leave at X amount of time, you know, I don't want to do this, I want to do that. It takes work to be purposeful and investing in other people's lives to cultivate opportunities that you might be able to connect later on for the sake of the gospel. Our families provide us with opportunities to share the gospel and seek to make disciples, If you're a parent of of children who are still in your home, your children need the Lord. As a parent, you're the primary discipler of your child. Perhaps you have other family members who need the gospel as well. Or our community that we live in provides us these opportunities. So we engage in public groups or sports or activities and more. Why? For the purpose of building relationships for the cause of Christ. So there is a, a definitely here when Jesus talks again to his disciples about going and making disciples. There is a definitely a, an individual tone with which this starts. That, that each believer must prioritize in his own life this mission to go and make disciples. But there is also a community aspect in it, as it begins in the church. Because we should come to the church for the purpose of discipleship as well. Because within the walls of your local church, you're going to find people who are in need of discipleship as well. There's going to be, in a a local church, newer Christians who need to connect with someone to help them grow in their newfound faith. There's going to be within the church the curious who, who want more answers. There's going to be the struggling in need of more time together with other believers. There are the young who are the next generation for Christ. And so we, we need to engage in our local church that we may help disciple people who are there as well. And we ourselves need disciples in our lives who will help us grow and change. And a church that is not engaging in ongoing discipleship of other believers is a dying church. If you will not reach out and disciple people, the church will die. A church that is not looking to reach others for God is a disobedient church. So you need to be in God's church looking for ways to reach others who are here and looking for help, encouragement, and prayer that you may reach the people God has burdened you for. And so, the other part of this is not only discipleship, but edification, which we read about there uh, in this verse in 1 Thessalonians. Because here in the church, you should find and give edification among believers. At the end of, the, of, of 1 Thessalonians, Paul has encouraged the believers there in Thessalonica, especially there in, in, in chapter 5. He's been encouraging them about the, the second coming of the Lord. And so. Uh, as, he, as he's talked to them about this, he says that one day he'll return to call his own to be with him. He says, while we wait for him, we're called to live for him. And a major part of this calling is to encourage and edify fellow believers in the things of the Lord. Edify is a word that we use often. It's, it's translated here in this verse as, as build one another up. And that's the, what the word edify means. We used to have this joke in our youth group because our, our youth pastor would teach us to edify people. And we would say, edify stupid Okay? Really building people up when you say that. Okay? But that's what the word means. It means to build up believers. It means to promote Christian growth in another person. And promoting growth comes through a proper environment and help. How many of you like to grow plants? Okay? How many of you who like to grow plants are actually good at growing plants? Okay? All right. If you want a plant to grow, you have to put it in a proper environment for it to grow, right? You have to give it what it needs, whether it be the soil or the nutrients or the light or the water or the, you know, whatever. You need to give it all the tools, all the the pieces to help it thrive. And if we want to foster Christian growth in our lives, we need to put ourselves in environments where we will thrive in that Christian growth. And the primary place for that is the church. It is in the church that believers should find those who will invest in them for the purpose of building up one another. And listen, here's the thing. As believers, we don't always need to hear something new, right? How many times in your life do you remember Someone coming alongside you and encouraging you is something you've already heard, but you really just need to hear it again, right? That's a lot of edification, by the way. We're forgetful people. Um, And it's not that we forgot that that was true. We just failed to live that it was true. We needed to hear, you know, like, hey, don't forget this about God. Oh, you know what? I really needed that. It wasn't like it was some earth-shattering, you know, oh, comes down from heaven, new truth, right? It was like, hey, I've heard that before. I needed that. Thank you. That's a lot of edification of believers coming alongside each other and reminding them of the things of God. This is what the body of Christ does. Now, we saw when we looked at the callings of a pastor a few messages back, it is the calling of the pastor to preach the word of God that believers would be edified, right? That, that's the, the passage we looked at in Ephesians. As we, we should enter the doors of our church every week, asking God to use the message from the word of God to edify, to build up our lives in him. We should long to be built up in the things of the Lord. However, again, the drive of Paul's point here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, when he tells us to build up one another, isn't so much about what we should experience, as it is again, about how much, about what we should be doing as we walk into the church. You see, Again, all throughout the New Testament, the focus is not on how should you be a consumer of the church, but how you should be invested in your church and what you should be doing. We should be looking to encourage and edify other believers. We are called to be actively involved in the edification of other believers. We are expected to pour our lives into the lives of others, asking God to to use us in this way. And when you're not here, you cannot fulfill this edification in this church as God designed it to take place. And of course, discipleship and edification should by necessity go beyond the walls of the church. You need to purposely put yourselves in the lives of other Christians. You need to invite them into your home, take them out to eat, work on a project together, be practical and purposeful in your connections for the sake of the gospel Because this whole we keep to ourselves mentality that has overtaken our world goes against the church as God designed it to be. God designed for believers to be a part of a community of of fellow believers as we seek to carry out the things of the Lord. The church was designed to promote interaction and fellowship and mutual edification. God calls on us to share our lives with one another, creating that community in him. And in so doing, we build lives on the Lord. And that's what we look at here Lastly today, as we see, building lives on the Lord. Take your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Again, I have two verses I want to share here with you. As we talk about this concept of discipleship, we're building lives on Jesus Christ. The first one I'll put on the screen comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me... As I am of Christ. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, it says this, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We are seeking in discipleship to build lives on Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. As Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, unpacking their problems and seeking to combat their sin, he commanded them in the purpose of discipleship in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And in fact, whom does Paul set up as an example? Well, he begins with, be imitators of me. But he doesn't call them to become little Apostle Pauls running around Corinth. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, hey, look, if you guys would just act like me, all the world's problems would go away, right? What is he doing? He is calling them to be imitators of him as he imitated Jesus Christ. You say, look, I, my calling is to be an example of Christ in you. I have a responsibility to you. And that's what discipleship is. Discipleship is not trying to force people into some mold, right? It's not trying to force them into what we think they should be. We're not trying to reproduce parators of personal theology, on our personal obsessions, but what we are seeking to do is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. It is inevitable that disciples are going to pick up some of the traits and habits of those who disciple them, right? I mean, don't you think that if discipleship is a personal thing, and it is, that, event, that, that when you disciple someone, they're gonna pick up some of those personal things that you believe and the way you see the scripture, Right? So it is imperative then that you as a discipler stay in the word of God, right? Stay faithful to what he says. It it puts the onus back on the discipler to devote himself to godliness so that we may disciple others in the ways of God. Because if I'm honest, I can speak to this both as a pastor and as a parent. I don't want people to be just like me because I know all of my sin and my flaws and my faults. I want them to be like Jesus Christ. And so, the best way to do this is to prioritize your own relationship with the Lord. Because you cannot effectively teach someone something you are not personally know, you don't personally know and do yourself. And so discipleship, then, is more than a class. Now, in the past, we have offered formal discipleship classes here at church. And we'll probably do it again. I find it to be an effective tool. But discipleship is so much more than sitting in a class for a certain number of weeks or doing a certain book study, you know, finishing this or finishing that. These are certainly good tools, but what is discipleship? At its core, discipleship is life-touching life for the purpose of the gospel. It is walking through life, learning the things of the Lord. And there are certainly times of formal training and teaching. But how you live your life is more instructive than how you say you should live your life. I'll say it again. How you live your life is more instructive to someone than how you say you should live your life. Because we can all say the right answers, right? This is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to do. But how are you doing that? And inviting someone into your life for the purpose of, of pouring into them in discipleship, you're inviting them to say, hey, that's an open book. This is how, this is how you live this out. If you remove yourself then from the gathering of believers, you remove yourself from the discipleship opportunities and those who would disciple you. In that passage in Second Timothy that you turn to, we see the stated goal of discipleship is replication. Paul represents, he talks about four generations here, right? He gave to Timothy, Timothy gave to others, they gave to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, right? It, just, it continues to go. On down the line of, of replication, Paul discipled Timothy, and Timothy in turn was discipling them. So we must reach others with the gospel. Why? So that we can disciple them in the ways of the Lord. And the goal then is that then they would go and disciple other people in the things of the Lord. This is why we come to church. We come to this place to seek out opportunities and the benefits of discipleship in our own lives. So I would argue that in your life, you should have what, I'm, what you might call a Paul and a Timothy. What do I mean by that? Well, think about Paul and Timothy's relationship. In your life, you should have someone who is pouring into your own life, discipling you in the ways of the Lord. That person should be present in your life because you're never finished growing in him and we're never not in need of more instruction in the things of God. So we must be seeking out those who would invest in us for the sake of the kingdom. And so where should we be able to find people who can pour into our lives for the sake in discipleship? The church. And I'll just tell you, it doesn't mean it magically happens. I think sometimes we think, well, I'm gonna walk through the back door and someone's gonna come over and say, God told me to disciple you. Right? How many think, well, that'd be great, you know? You know, sometimes you gotta Jump start the process a little bit you feel like man I really need to be discipled you look around in this place and you find someone you, you look up to and you say I'm that person they walk with the Lord and you go up to him and say hey I, I want you to disciple me I want to learn from you I want to follow you as you follow Christ and after you pick that person up off the floor after they fainted okay <laughs> you go get a Big Mac together and you talk about things of the Lord Listen, I do this in my own life as a pastor. This past week, I had lunch with a, a, a pastor who is, I have a relationship with. He's older than me. He's been doing this longer than I have. And I write, him three, I write him at the beginning of the year, and we set up three or four of these. He's a busy guy, you know. And I say, hey, I want to get lunch with you. Not because I want to gossip about church members, okay? Because I want to learn as a pastor, how do, I, how do I grow in these things? It's discipleship. And so you might have, you know, as you look around, you say, man, I don't really have a disciple in my life. Oh, how, look around in this place. Find someone. But you can't do that if you're not here, right? If you're not going to be a part of the local church, you're not going to find those people. It is my goal as a pastor that our church continues every day to become a more discipleship-oriented church, that there are, there are people investing in the lives of other people over and over and over again, because discipleship should be second nature to us as believers. So put yourself out there. And I would say this, if you do so, if you put yourself out there and say, how hey, lucky like you to disciple me? You've got to commit to the process, right? Nothing is more ineffective for discipleship than someone who removes himself from the process. He says, I want you to disciple me. He said, okay, here's the time I have available. Oh, I, just, I can never make it. And then they go, nobody disciples me. Well, you've got to be there. You've got to be part of the process. You've got to commit to following. And as you grow and mature in the Lord, what's the other side of that? You should have those who are like Timothy was to Paul in, your life, in his life, that you're intentionally discipling them. And by the way, if you had to kind of jumpstart the process, don't make somebody else do that. You say, hey, I'm going to change that. Go to somebody. Say, hey, I'd like to, I'd like to get together. Can we study the Bible together? You know, can, we, can we do this together? Can, we, can I take you out for lunch? Can I? And the, the goal is I, I'd like to, to, to begin a discipleship relationship with you. Not because I have all the answers, right? Because I just would like to to have the opportunity to help you grow and change as as God has been so gracious and given me people in my life like that. See, here's the thing. One of the greatest ways to grow your spiritual life is to begin investing in the lives of others the things that God has taught you. And if you are truly seeking to help others imitate Christ, then the discipleship process is an incredible experience for you as it will grow you spiritually. Spiritually. You can find, you can again find these opportunities within your own home, right? I mean, again, parents, your primary disciple, if you have a children in your home, they're, they're sitting right there with you, right? They're there in your house. You can find these connections in, in, your, in other parts of your life as you reach out for, to other people and the things of the Lord, but you find them again within your local church. And at salvation, the process of sanctification begins and you are continually growing and changing the Lord as you walk with him. So discipleship is vital for the church. Without it, the church will die. Without it, without discipleship, you will flounder in your own spiritual life. Without the investment of others in your life and the teaching and preaching of the word of God, you know what? One of the biggest things you open yourself up to is in your own life, error and self-absorbed doctrine. If you want to know one of the things that bothers me as a pastor, here it is. Okay, You didn't come for this, but it's free. Nothing is more dangerous than the following statements. You know, I was studying the Bible, and I don't know why anybody's ever seen this before. Or, you know, I've heard this passage taught, and everybody I've taught it, they've taught it wrong. Okay, listen, I'm just telling tell you right now. If those are the statements that come out of your mouth, stop. Okay? And if someone comes up to you with these statements, they say, look, Hundreds of years we've had the Bible. Hundreds of years people have taught the Bible, and nobody's ever taught this passage right. Here's what you're going to do: you're going to take your fingers, you're going to put them in your ears, you're going to go la, 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 and you're going to run away. Okay? Why? Because isolation from the people of God and the teachings of God's word is the surest way to get yourself into heresy. You need. The word of God, but you need, and you need the community of believers. You need the teaching and the preaching of the word of God to help us in these things. Isolation from fellow believers does not promote spiritual growth. We need fellow believers in our lives building us up to the glory of God. And so, just as we need those people investing in us, don't be afraid to put yourself out there and disciple someone else. And take these practical things, you know, of meeting up with somebody in a public place, you know, to get together or to do something or invite them to your home, take them out to lunch. Why? Because I want to build an intentional relationship for the purpose of discipleship. That is God's plan and his program for the advancement of the gospel and the growth of others. It is the mission of any local church to make disciples of the Lord. Christians are called to dedication to the local church for the purpose of exercising the character of the new man and furthering the mission of the kingdom of God. And so what do we see today? Well, number one, we see this, that the church honors the Lord when it prays. As a Christian, you have been given the incredible gift of prayer to come before the throne of God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is a gift to all who trust in Christ. But understand, that gift was not free. It cost the Son of God his life. And he has risen again to offer us salvation in himself. He died for you to open the way to God. So utilize and exercise this privilege with your fellow believers that we may see God's mighty hand at work. Discipleship and edification was the second thing we looked at today. And they promote growth in the church. And listen, growth isn't, when we talk about growth in the church, I think a lot of times we get this idea of, okay, well, next year we hope we have more people. We hope we grow as a church. Growth isn't just the numerical thing seen in the size of the church increasing year by year. While that is a noble goal to see more people reach for the Lord and thus in the church, quantity is not the only growth metric. Christians are expected to grow and change in the Lord, and this happens through discipleship and edification of believers. That's what growth looks like. So what in what way do these admonitions call for your response today? Perhaps you need to make the effort to gather with other believers for the purpose of prayer. Perhaps I've just I've never done that. I never saw it as important, I never gave much thought to it, but I, you know I need to do that. Maybe you need to seek out discipling relationships and those who will edify you in the things of the Lord, challenging you to greater growth in him. You need to be in the church asking God to help you take the next spiritual step and submitting yourself to his work in your heart. Father, thank you for the time we've had to be here today. Thank you for these dear people who have come to worship you in the church today. Thank you for the work that you do in our hearts through your word. Thank you that the word of God is alive, it's powerful, it's active, and that it knows our hearts, that you use your word to grow us and change us. And we ask today that you would do an incredible, mighty work through that word in our hearts today. Lord, we, as we sit here today, May we reflect on what's been shared from the word of God. And may you challenge us with it. Would you help us to be convicted by, this, by some of the things we have done or not done? Would you help us to be encouraged by the word of God to then write that and follow you in obedience? Would you burden our hearts to reach people with the gospel? Would you help us to look around for believers to edify, to disciple. Would you help us to find disciples for our own lives who will point us, not in ways of personal theology, but will point us back to you and teach us how to walk with you and, and, and be willing to challenge us in our hearts and lives in these things. Our Lord, if we'll do this, not only will we be closer to you, we know our brothers and sisters in Christ in this place will be stronger. And this Beaverton Baptist Church will continue to grow in spiritual maturity that we may be a beacon for the gospel here. We ask now, as we close our service today, that you would continue to do your work. In your name we pray, amen.